Welcome back to Life with Rochwell Ball. In today's episode, I'm joined by Joey B and Jonah B, and they will be debating, uh, we'll have a libertarianism versus socialism debate, and our topic today is healthcare. So Let's who, go. Who, who'd like to go first? Uh, I'll, I'll go first just by broadly introducing my thesis, uh, which I would separate into two components. Uh, component number one, why universal healthcare is a bad thing for the United States to adopt. And component number two, why the U.S. healthcare system is utter garbage and we should replace it with a completely free market healthcare system. Okay. Um, I wasn't expecting these things. This is uh, the first one. I agree. The U.S. is not in a state to adapt any healthcare like that. It would just not work as a whole. I'm not going to disagree on that. Material conditions would have to change. But the second, no, there should be a completely universal. Oh, I agree. America should drop its current health care, but it shouldn't become free market. It should become universal health care so given you, by the government. So you are advocating that the U.S. adopt a universal health care system? Yes. Okay. What kind and what conditions would you like to see change before that point? Conditions I would like to see change. Because... Um, I might have misunderstood you, but you're in agreement that uh, in order to adopt such a system, the U.S. would need to change certain conditions about the country first. Yes. Okay. What conditions would those be? And then are you talking about a single-payer system, a national health care system? Uh, which National – well, conditions – there would need to be less corporate influence on the government, number one, because – as a whole, corporations will never let that happen. They're never going to want to advocate for, for um, universal health care. And it would be a national pair. I mean, it's universal health care. Your taxes will go towards okay. universal health care. Um, just to parse it out a little bit, because it does matter which system we're talking about. Okay. Uh, so the difference between a national health care system and a single-payer health care system, um, the difference, in other words, between Canada and France or the U.K. and Norway Okay. Uh, is that a single-payer system is one in which the health insurance uh, industry is nationalized, whereas a national health care system is one in which health care broadly is nationalized. So if you have a system where the government insures everybody, but that uh, hospitals and doctors are still provided privately, that's a single-payer system. Whereas if you have a system where uh, the hospitals and doctors are also provided by the government, like uh, exists within the UK or Scandinavian countries, that would be a national health care system. I'm advocating for national. Okay. So, um, Joey B can go first. So, uh, first we need to look at the both the theoretical side and the empirical side of what it would actually mean to adopt a national healthcare system. And I'm going to ignore for the moment that the U.S. has certain conditions which make this very, very hard to fulfill. One of which you mentioned that I agree with um, is the influence of corporations within the United States. I would also like to see that disappear. Um, but there's also reasons why it would not work as well in the US, U.S. as it would in Norway, right? Um, first, Norway is already an exceptionally wealthy country compared to the U.S. Uh, it is also a small, close-knit, culturally homogenous country, which makes a huge difference, right? Um, the U.S. is more comparable, and maybe not in terms of geography or population, uh, but more so than Norway to the U.K., which has adopted a national healthcare system and, broadly speaking, has a terrible reputation compared to Nordic countries and compared to Singapore. Uh, if you wanted to get 
a closer comparison to the Scandinavian countries, which has a system similar to the US, you would need to look at Singapore. Right? We can compare Norway to Singapore. They both have around five and a half million people. They're both richer than the United States is on a per capita basis, although there's a huge difference between them as well, which we'll get into in a second. So Singapore has, like the United States does, a hybrid system, right? Okay. Um, where uh, neither the health insurance industry nor the healthcare industry are nationalized. However, the government has a significant hand in each one. So Singapore has a system very similar to Medicare in which you uh, are forced to pay payroll taxes for the purpose of providing healthcare to you. And it depends on what age group you're in, what level of taxes you pay. Okay. Right. Um, but Singapore also has a reputation for a much less regulated private sector within the healthcare industry than the U.S. does. Um, and people will point towards Singapore as an example of something closer to free market healthcare than the United States. Um, so we can look at Singapore and we can look at Norway and we can compare them and see how they're working out. So Norway spends about $8,000 per head on healthcare. Singapore spends about 2600 it's ridiculously lower than Norway and even more ridiculously lower than the United States. So I, I just have a question here. Yeah. Why is it that much lower in Singapore? It is because it is private. Um, no, not because it is private, but specifically because it is less regulated than the United States. I, I'll get into this in a moment, but there are several U.S. government policies which you can point to as directly influencing the price of healthcare. Okay. I just would like to say there is a country that has... Lower high, lower price per head healthcare than both of the examples you mentioned. Which Cuba, one? Cuba has a healthcare uh, per head cost of one hundred and twenty-five dollars per person. Okay, uh, and how good is Cuba's healthcare? Generally regarded to be better than the U.S.'s. Really, in terms of quality. In terms of outcome, meaning what? Um, I don't doubt that it's better in terms of ubiquity or price. But we would also need to discuss uh, if it's better in terms of actual uh, quality, right? Okay. Um, uh, they have a they have a lower. My brain isn't comprehending this. Um, they have a lesser infant mortality rate. Less babies die than they do in the U.S. That's always a good sign. Yep. They have a higher life expectancy than in the U.S. Generally, both would I would regard as high indicators of good healthcare. Okay, so infant mortality rate I'll actually give to you because infant mortality rate is a pretty good indicator of a healthcare system. Life expectancy is not because life expectancy depends on a number of other factors outside of the structure of the healthcare system. Okay, so for I'll example, that life expectancy in um, uh, East Asian countries is far higher than it is anywhere else. Uh, Scandinavia, as a region of the world, tends to come in a close second, um, and that has very little to do with our healthcare systems and much more to do with lifestyle. Right. The U.S. has a low life expectancy rate, not because of its healthcare system, but because the U.S. has a particularly bad lifestyle when it comes to health. I, I'll agree with that. Yes. So, but if we look at Cuba, it is true that they've more or less perfected the art of keeping babies from dying. Um, however, we don't see any of the advanced technology that takes place in no. the United States in Cuba. No, there is there is massive examples of that. You actually look at it. Cuba was one of the first people to uh, was one of the first countries to create a COVID vaccine when, for example, all of the other countries had to, all of the other countries could not give them vaccines because of the embargoes. They have a high standard of healthcare and medicine, and actually they sent doctors over the, to the entire world. I'll point out two things in regard to the COVID vaccine in Cuba. The first would be that uh, it depends 
which vaccine you're talking about. Uh, vaccine efficacies when it comes to COVID then tend to differ wildly, even among companies within the United States. So I need to know how efficacious the vaccine actually was. And the second thing was, is that when you're talking about the US, you're not talking about a free market creating a vaccine. You're talking about a free market creating, and I put that in quotes, a vaccine against the red tape of the FDA, something which Cuba does not have because it's a nationalized system, right? Uh, we return uh, again to the idea that the U.S.'s system is a hybrid system, and I would fault the fact that it's a hybrid system rather than a free market system for virtually everything that's wrong with it. I would fault the fact that it's a hybrid system as opposed to a nationalized system for everything that's wrong with it. There we go. So we agree that we do need to change our current healthcare system. Yes. So there we go. Okay. So we're not happy with the hybrid system as it currently stands within the U.S. Um, so. I'll first go through the theoretical side of why I think various government actions have had a nasty effect on both healthcare prices and quality and quantity. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so there are four different types, uh, essentially, of government intervention into the healthcare market. And you can see these in various other markets as well, but these are the four we're mainly concerned with. I will give a brief shout out to patents, as they do make healthcare vastly more expensive, but that's not something which is unique to the United States. Um, the U.S. patent system tends to also affect the healthcare prices of even single-payer or national systems in other countries. Right? Yeah, but as a whole, they still tend to be lower. Um, yes, but that's in spite of patents. I'm saying that like Canada provides healthcare that's about $2,000 per head lower than the United States in terms of cost. It would be even lower than that in both countries were it not for the existence of patents. Okay. Okay. Um, but in terms of the unique policy that plagues the U.S. in particular, we can look at monopolization, we can look at price controls, we can look at uh, the general imposition of cost or effective taxation um, that can take the form of regulation, but uh, whether or not it's actually taxation, I'm just saying it would refer to any leftward uh, shift of the supply curve. And we also have uh, the uh, introduction of artificial demand in the form of Medicare and pooling in the form of the Affordable Care Act, right? So I'll tackle the specific uh, policies individually. So. Um, the first thing we have to look at before we look at federal regulation of the healthcare industry is state regulation, which has a much more drastic impact than federal regulation does in general. Okay. Um, so in 1944, uh, I believe there was a Supreme Court decision which uh, included healthcare, which previously had not been within the Interstate Commerce Clause. And then following immediately in 1945, the uh, McCarty-Ferguson <coughs> Act was introduced, which essentially granted back to the states to the rights to hand out permits to health insurance companies to operate, right? And so that means that you end up with basically in-state monopolies or duopolies or a very heavy concentration in general. The 2012 study in particular pointed out that um, the uh, extent of Americans living essentially under just one available healthcare or health insurance provider rose from about 68% to 99%. Uh, between 1999 and 2006 as a result of this, right? So this is compounded further uh, by pooling um, with the Affordable Care Act, which uh, mandated that healthcare costs be determined by the overall risk level of the state rather than individual risk levels. In other words, you don't have the option of getting cheaper healthcare if you live in a state where people are generally more at risk. If you live in Florida, surrounded by a bunch of old people, your health care is going to be higher regardless of if you're healthy and can prove that to health insurance companies. What about income level? Is it... um, I believe that it had something to do with income level as well with the Affordable Care Act, but I did not look into that, unfortunately. Okay. 
Um, so when it comes to the various other state regulations, besides the strict permit one, which has created in-state monopolies, um, you have cost regulations such as price controls, you have uh, coverage regulations where um, insurance is forced to cover certain things it might have not have done otherwise, this increases price. Um, in the same way that forcing car insurance to cover an oil change would increase price. Um, and then you also have certificate of need laws, which I'll describe to you and you'll probably agree are very, very stupid. So um, certificate of need laws, which are on the books and I believe 35 out of the 50 states, mean that anytime you want to establish a new hospital or a new um, medical firm of some type, you need to come before a committee composed of all of your potential competitors, the quote unquote experts within the field, and demonstrate that the state actually needs such a thing. Yeah, that, that's pretty That's pretty tough. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so in terms of cost regulations, uh, we can look at the effect of price controls. In general, they create a shortage, right? If you lower price below its equilibrium point by force, you end up with a situation where the quantity which private firms are willing to provide is lower than the quantity which the people are actually demanding for that price. That makes healthcare less ubiquitous. Right, that can explain why the U.S. currently has 8% of people within its population that are not insured in and of its own right. Um, we look at artificial demand in the form of Medicare. Um, well, it's, uh, it's, it's a similar story with um, federal loans for tuition. Right? If you write a blank check to people to pay for health insurance, health insurance companies jack up their prices. Right? This is made considerably worse through pooling because it means the demand curve as a whole shifts to the right and increases prices. The demand curve for people who are actually lower risk and would want to pay less in the first place remains the same, and they're essentially priced out of the market. Um, and then in terms of uh, uh, certificate of need laws, uh, in terms of um, general regulations on the healthcare industry, uh, you impose a cost, right, by shifting the supply curve, supply curve left. And because healthcare is a necessity, is demand curved is particularly inelastic, which means you get a very drastic price increase from price uh, from regulations of that type. So we have uh, monopolization, which decreases the quantity of healthcare provided and increases the cost, uh, and that is created by state regulations. Uh, we have I, that's where I disagree on that. Okay. Um, Monopolies come into play not because of regulations; they are often allowed, but not forced by regulations. What happens? is that as one company grows, it'll eventually say, hey, these guys, they're doing what we're doing. We don't want them to exist. Just take them over. Just take them over. That is something that is inherent to capitalism. That is going to happen regardless. Doesn't matter if there is government regulations or not. You can see this back in the golden age. The entire problem was that there was no government regulations, so monopolies you formed. Mean the Gilded Age? Gilded, Gilded Age. Gilded Age. Right. Yeah, um, Golden Gilded same thing. Neither one of those statements were tr are true, by the way, about the Gilded Age. Um, it is not the case within the Gilded Age that there was no governmental regulation. You can see as a famous example with railroads, which were intentionally monopolized by the government. And it is also not the case within the Gilded Age that there were numerous amounts of monopolies. There are many things that are brought up as examples of monopolies which strictly weren't. Standard Oil was not a monopoly. And it had actually lost market share by the time the litigation actually came forward in terms of the introduction of new antitrust laws. Um, the same was true with U.S. Steel to an even greater degree, right? If you look at uh, the history of Western economies and the history of the United States, unless you can present an example to the contrary, what it seems to me is that there are no strict examples of natural monopolies, none. 
And the reason for this is because, well, you do have economies of scale. You have the ability of a company to grow bigger and therefore be able to uh, produce things more cheaply. You also have diseconomies of scale. Once you get to a certain point of size, it becomes more and more, sorry, less and less efficient to produce the same thing. With healthcare, economies of scale play a major role, right? Uh, healthcare is something which generally has very high fixed cost, health insurance. So that means that the extent to which you are going to have a monopoly depends on how large of a market they have to compete with. If you say, oh, you only have to compete within this given state, then of course they're gonna have the monopoly. They only have to cater to about three million people if you're talking about, say, Oklahoma, right? But the second you allow that healthcare provider in, the, in Oklahoma to have to compete with healthcare providers in Texas, Louisiana, or New York, right? They no longer are capable of maintaining that same quote unquote natural monopoly. It's a case of monopoly created by state permits and regulations. It's not natural. The regulations being you're allowed to compete outside of your state? No, you are made to compete with companies outside of your state. Regulations are currently set up so that they protect certain health insurance companies within each state from out-of-state competition, right? So you'll end up with situations like Alabama where there's essentially one health insurance provider for everyone and they can jack up prices to be whatever they yeah. want. That's terrible. Yeah, it is terrible and it is directly caused by government action. No, it, it regardless of regulations, the problem is, is that at some point the tables flip. At some point, monopolies become able to influence the government. So who gives a... Am I allowed to curse? Who gives a damn what the government does? Is what, that what you consider a curse? Okay. I, well, I, I could have gone. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure. It's okay, it's okay. Who gives a shit? Fuck okay. Yeah. okay, there we go. Out of the way. Yeah. But the, at some point, you get the lobbyists. We both, I bet we can both agree lobbyists are bad. Yeah, the U.S. is a corporatist mess. Yeah. But the thing is, is corporatism is capitalism. No matter which way you try to paint it, the capitalism will always you try... Can, you can call it whatever you want, and I actually agree with you that any government existing within a capitalist system is gradually going to become corporatist. Now, that's why I advocate for the existence of no government, but specifically what I'm arguing for on a policy level is a free market non-corporatist system. You are tasked with arguing that monopolies are inherent to such a system, and there are no empirical examples that that's true. None. The closest thing, in, to my knowledge, that, that anything comes to that is the De Beers Diamond Corporation, but even that's a little, like, shady. Mm. We'll get back to the healthcare after I have after I, one question. Would you say the goal of capitalism is to expand infinitely? Capitalism does not have a goal. That's a little bit incoherent. Okay. But is that part of the system? If you are going to be constantly selling, producing, making things, products, goods you're going to have to be constantly expanding to earn a profit. Is yes, that no, the goal of any firm existing within any system, regardless of whether or not it's capitalist, is to make a profit. Now, I'm when I say firm, I'm including any organization. The goal of a socialist government is to earn a profit. The question is, which system takes firms, profit-seeking firms, and directs them towards the most utilitarian ends, right? And that, I would say, is a resounding victory for free market capitalism or just a free market system. Capitalism tends to be a loaded term these days, but well, what might be worth looking at is like the marginal utility for these two types of healthcare. Yeah. Right? Just see overall like what's overall satisfaction with these two systems. Okay. So um in terms of being able to empirically compare free market healthcare to anything else, 
It's impossible to do in the modern era because unfortunately there are no comparable examples of free market healthcare within developed nations. Now, that does not mean a complete lack of empirical evidence because we have other industries which are relatively free compared to healthcare and you can compare what happens with them, right? Unless you believe for some reason that healthcare is economically special, which I don't think there's any reason to believe it is compared to other low elasticity demand curves, which is how you would describe it. Right, so we look at the automotive industry. We've observed a gradual decline in real prices in the last couple of decades. The automotive industry has a reputation for being somewhere in between, like completely unregulated and healthcare. Right, and you look at even less regulated industries such as communications and technology, or um, I don't know, shoe wood, like shoes, footwear. Uh, we've observed a rapid decrease in real prices over the last couple of decades. I believe with when, with uh, automotive industry in particular. Um, the increase in prices nominally um, since the 1970s has been about 166%, but the increase in inflation since the 1970s for the entire economy has been about 580, which means that you're observing a roughly 400% decrease in real prices for like new cars and trucks, right? You see an even, and you see an even more drastic case with, like I said, it comes to communications, appliances. Um, uh, clothing, food, stuff like that, right? Um, it's with certain industries such as healthcare, education, and housing that you see a drastic increase over inflation in terms of prices, right? So we have to look at why that is. And you can point to certain policies which make those, in those industries less free and more regulated um, than any other industries. Right? You would not describe the U.S.'s system in the automotive industry as being a hybrid system, because it's not. But the healthcare system is hybrid. It's not private, remotely. Right? Okay. So, if, so what I'm gathering is that what you're saying is the more regulation there is, the, the more it seems to increase prices. Yes. Well, Correct. just on the face of it, let's... Assume regulation refers to one thing, which it is not. There are many different types yeah. of regulation. And let's just say that regulation is anything which imposes a cost on doing business, right? Anything that shifts the supply curve left. On a theoretical level, that is always going to raise prices. Because then you yeah. are moving it up the demand curve. Okay. Prices increase, quantity decreases. And that's something that we see in basically every industry. So it's not a surprise then that if you look at the industries that are regarded as having decreasing prices and are more functional than the healthcare industry are the ones with fewer government involvement, right? You do not have Medicare imposing extreme amounts of artificial demand on cars, for example, or anything analogous to that. Okay. Um, so if we find examples of this, if you see that, hey, the less regulation there is as an example of shoes, cars, whatever, yeah, is better for the industry, it makes it better as a whole, it makes prices lower over time. Why have we not seen that in healthcare? Because healthcare is not a free market. We would not expect prices in healthcare to decrease over time because there are multiple policies which we can point to which have the opposite effect. Okay, but then as a whole, you would expect some country to have tried it at least once somewhere, would you not? No, because governments are economic entities and you can predict their behavior as well as the policies they output. Okay. When I'm advocating for a free market system for healthcare, I'm not remotely making the claim that governments can be predicted to implement it. I don't think they can. Okay. I was simply talking about the policy in a vacuum. Policy in a vacuum. That's the problem. 
Nothing is ever in a vacuum. No, nothing's ever in a vacuum. Um, but, but I'm saying that like, you, the reason you do not see free markets for healthcare pop up anywhere else in the world is because we've observed a gradual um, decrease in the amount, uh, in the extent to which markets across the world for healthcare are free. If you go back, for example, to the early 1900s in the United States, there was a relatively much freer market for healthcare. Okay. Right. Um, as a matter of fact, healthcare was basically ubiquitous, right? Um, so we look at, for example, fraternal, fraternal societies and lodge practice, right? The idea that you can come together in a private, mutually beneficial organization to provide for basic healthcare for everyone in that organization. Not for free, but for a very low price. I believe it was um, by standards like adjusting for inflation, you know, the, the equivalent of about a day's worth of wages, okay. three years worth of healthcare. Okay. Which is really good. Yeah, incredible. Um, and that was a situation where you had doctors attending proprietary for-profit schools being pumped out in large numbers, and was grad that was gradually um, the medical establishment, the AMA, gradually waged a war against that because they thought it hurt the prestige and hurt the income of the doctors. So it is an example of corporatist policies gradually killing that industry, right? And if you look at the, if you look at 1920, you'll see that roughly one fifth of Americans were a member of a fraternal society, right? So that means one fifth of Americans at least had healthcare coverage. But if you go to 1940, that number has dropped to nine percent covered by health insurance, right? That's not a coincidence. It's due to governmental policy. It's due to the lobbying of the AMA and the medical establishment. Okay, but the question, part of my question here is, if you do not, if you had if you take away these regulations, what is going to guarantee the standard of medical practice is still good? Because as much as it's touted, corporations don't always care what's best for the consumer. Corporations should never be assumed to care what's best for the consumer, so ever. It's, it's always about themselves. It's always about themselves. Anyone, they care about anyone who's profit. I would not claim that anyone who's actually touting that is on my side. Okay. Right. Um, no... If anyone who's doing a serious economic analysis should start from the assumption that corporations are inherently simply profit-seeking and nothing else. Okay, I agree. I start from that assumption as well. All right, so let's say, well, how does a profit-seeking entity behave in a completely competitive environment? It tends to increase the quality of the service it's providing over a long stretch of time, and it tends to decrease the price of the um, product it's providing over a long stretch of time. All right. Okay. This is because, well, you might say, well, more prices equal more profit, or higher prices equal more profit. Not necessarily. That's if you have a monopoly. But if you can lower your price by a little bit and sell to a lot more people because of it, that's something you're incentivized to do. If you can increase the quality of your product, increase the cost of making it by a little bit, but sell to a lot more people because of that, that's, once again, something you're incentivized to do. The reason we wouldn't expect a a competitive, deregulated healthcare market to kill people randomly en masse in medical accidents is the same reason we don't expect Coca-Cola to poison our drinks. You gotta make money. Or, yeah. Okay, but then it turns out it's much more profitable for companies to work together. Not even in a monopolistic sense. But they just agree, hey, we're gonna make all the prices this level. Regardless if they actually cost this much, we're, gonna, we're going to work together and say, hey, these guys have no other options. We're just going to put yeah, the price level you, here. You'd be talking about collusion and cartelization. Yeah. Which, there have been many attempts at that. Within mm, it's ongoing right now. 
And there have been many successful attempts as well, and all of the successful attempts tend to have one thing in common, but I'll get to that. Let's identify the problem first with cardinalization. It's that there is no such thing as the interest of a class or as a, of a group. If companies work together, they are not going to be working for the sake of the interests of the group. They're going to be working for the sake of the company individually that they're representing. Right? So if you group together five companies, all of which agree to set prices at a certain level, it is true that it is in their collective interest to keep prices at that level. But it is also in the quote-unquote individual interest of each of the five firms within that cartel to try to break that rule as much as possible. That's why it collapses. It's the tragedy of the commons for corporations, essentially. Right? So we don't see successful cartels last very long within a free market. We do see successful cartels form, and the common denominator they consistently have is that government came along and said, you know what, we like what you're doing, we're going to make sure that people are required to be a member of this cartel, or that firms are required to be a member of this cartel. Why does government want that to happen? Hmm? Why does government want that to happen? Because the government is corporations' bitch. Okay, Which, Yeah, but that is going to I'm be... saying the government should be less of corporations' bitch. I think we both agree on that, just in separate ways. And your solution to making the government less of corporations' bitch, bitch is to, to remove the, the corporation a totally monopolistic corporation over every aspect of society. And my solution is simply to remove the influence of corporations on government. And, well, okay, yeah, I'm I dis. Yes, it is a corporation in sense, but it's different in that. There aren't multiple corporations. If you have one entity controlling everything, then you don't need to worry about as much as inherent competition. Um, it's true that it's less complicated, but it gives you some very severe things to worry about. Like, let's take an example. Okay, take Amazon. Do you trust Amazon? Not with a single bone in my body. We're in agreement there, right? I don't trust Amazon. You know the last thing that I would want to do with Amazon? What? Put it in legal, monopolistic control over every industry and sector in the economy. Right? Oh, but if somehow we could guarantee that Amazon could act in a way that was actually benevolent towards all of the economy, then maybe it would be a different story. But just as easily as you could say, well, that socialist government is going to act differently and they're going to be more benevolent just because they're a government, I could say, well, the corporations are going to do what's right for the people regardless of what makes them a profit because that's what they entered into the industry for in the first place. It's nonsense. Both firms should be assumed to be profit-seeking unless proven otherwise. Okay. Right. Is not the most dangerous monopoly the one that has control over everything? Yes. But I think as inherent here is that if a government, if, if I'm just going to use government, if a government has control, I know you're saying there's some magical stuff that will ensure, like, oh, hey, we're not going to do this. That's where, no, that's unfeasible. No one's going to, that's just unreasonable. I'm saying that there is one mechanism we know that does. Profit. But I'm saying. No, there not is profit, competition. Competition. The profit mechanism is not something which exists or does not depending on the system you're looking at. Every you system okay. possesses a profit incentive. Right? It's a matter of how that profit, profit incentive is actually directed towards certain ends. If you have a totally competitive system where no company is allowed to use the force of law in order to gain a competitive advantage, then you have a system where the profit incentive leads to the best possible results. 
I don't see how that's debatable from an empirical and a theoretical perspective. Because that hasn't been proven to be true. Sure it has. Look at the Gilded Age. That is one of the most successful instances in human history of drastic increases in the standard of living for, for the poorest Americans. The Charles Dickensy history textbook representation of the Gilded Age simply is not true if you look at the data. Right? It is a false mythical monster that people like to paint about it because they see the idea of deregulation as inherently scary. Right? If you actually look at the Gilded Age, you observe that the average person within America became vastly more wealthy and had their life improved. Unless is this someone who believes... Now the question is, though, would that, would that be the case now if we did the same thing? No. Why? Because there's inherently... There's a lot more going on now than there was in the Gilded Age. There's, there's a plenty more industries. I don't see the same sort of increase happening, especially because... Correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like those numbers, the, the massive increase for the poorest would be heavily skewed by the richest getting a shit ton of money. No, when I'm referencing the fact that the standard of living for your typical American was increased, I'm not simply doing bit so based on like, a, oh, this is the average. Right? Okay. I'm doing so based on the media. Okay. Right? I'm talking about the typical American. Like, the average one you're looking at, the poorest among them, their standard of living increased drastically during the Gilded Age. And it's consistently within the freest portions of American history economically that we see that happen. And it's consistently within the less free that we see inequality be skewed in favor of the rich and the poor get poorer, right? Yeah. It's because anything that government does to interfere with the economy is inherently going to be used to favor the large corporations and the rich. Yes. Right? The, the system in which the poor are the best off is one of total chaos and freedom because that's one in which they can actually put their talents to the best possible advantage. Any governmental control is going to be a weapon used by the rich against the poor. Whether or not one wants it to be, that's how it's going to play out. Okay. Um, you can look at, for example, um, the uh, taxation uh, system. Question, I have a question then. Mm -hmm. I agree that everyone is equal. As much as I hate to say it, well, not everyone is equal did I say, in ability. Did I say everyone is equal? No. I did not say that, nor would I. I would not say everyone is equal. I would never say everyone should be equal either. I don't care about equality even remotely. What I care about is the well-being of people. Okay. So. Like, I would not... So Canada's system, for example, of healthcare, returning to... Yeah, we're well, sorry. Well, let's focus. finally return back to healthcare. More focused yeah. discussion. Um, Canada is something that it makes sense to empirically compare to the United States. Yes. It's a large, multicultural, spread-out society that is North American and federal. Right. Okay. We look at Canada's system. Um, the price of healthcare per head is about $2,000 lower than it is in the United States. If you look at taxes uh, in terms of them being prices, which they are. Yeah. It's not free if you're paying taxes for it. Um, and then we look at the actual standard of medical care they provide. In the U.S., you see a gradient depending on the level you're willing to pay of the amount of coverage you get. In the Canada, you see a total coverage of just the most basic possible level of medical care, and it does not cover things that even the middle class in America would regularly have covered, such as prescri prescription medication and dental care. Where you also see on a dynamic level over a long stretch of time that the U.S. is responsible for more medical in uh, innovations. This is not a coincidence either. Canada's medical innovations, relative to the wealth it's dealing with and the population it's dealing with, 
tend to be stagnant, right? Okay, I would, I would like to posit that where do most innovations come from? Be more precise. I'm, uh, that is the question. Where do most innovations come from? Do they from, come from companies, colleges, independent research centers? Because as far as I know, most innovations in the U.S. come from colleges, places like Rice. Would you agree with that? No. No. S some do. A significant portion do. But okay. I would have to actually look at the data. Okay. I know so a significant say... portion of innovations come from collegiate research, and a significant portion of innovations come from for-profit research. I don't know how it breaks down exactly. Okay. If it is the case... I do know that, uh, that on a historical basis, vastly more innovations come from for-profit activity than anything else. Especially the most significant ones. Uh, I debate that it's usually the government that funds these, as is the case where most of the time government funds collegiate research. And if we want to go, I hate, to, I hate to say it, yet again, a lot of innovations come from war. War is directly government. Broken window fallacy. The fact that innovations do come from war does not mean they would come from war more so than they would from private companies using the same resources that are uh, siphoned from them for the purpose of war, right? Uh, the military is incentivized to act in certain ways. It produces innovations because of it. If all of the, that money we spent on killing people was instead within the private sector being used freely, there's no reason to expect the amount of innovation would be even greater. Okay. Well, let's go back to healthcare because we've done a lot of off topics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, this we is could gradually do, becoming. We could do now. Now, you know, we've kind of gone all over the place here, but yeah. we have we have focused on healthcare, and then we just really got into more like private market versus yeah. government as like an active. And active I need to figure. do more research. I will admit. So what we'll do now is maybe we'll give you each about roughly two minutes. To just close uh, your stance on healthcare. Okay. Uh, Joseph, first. Sure. So. Uh, healthcare is not special from any other industry. Um, we have no reason economically to believe it's special, and we observe the fact that in every industry within the economy, um, private deregulated competitive environment is better than a governmentally controlled environment for the purposes of innovation and price decreases. Um, and if we look at the problematic situation of U.S. healthcare, the fact that its cost is so much higher. Right, and the fact that it actively uh, makes it non-ubiquitous and prices certain people out of the health insurance market altogether, about 8% of the population, we can identify specific government policies which we know in accordance with economic theory would have that effect. It does not make sense to suggest that such a problem is inherent to the free market nature of the U.S., which does not exist in the first place. Okay. Hand it off to Jonah. For me, what I've seen and what seems to be evident is that in a nationalized healthcare system, and I'm not talking some pussyfoot shit like we get in Norway, I'm thinking, I'm thinking Cuba, I'm thinking socialist states. It is proven to be significantly better than any other forms of healthcare that we have ever experienced. They generally have higher life expectancies. There was a debate on if that is actually indicative, but there are other aspects to say like, hey, as a whole, these societies do better for that regardless which could be, which could play into certain aspects, food, stuff like that, stuff America's really bad at. But even then, we see prices are generally lower per person, better out healthcare outcomes, 
and higher standards of healthcare. For example, you, uh, there was this documentary where a bunch of 9-11 responders went to Cuba to get medicine. In America, upwards of probably $100 per prescription for whenever they picked it up. In Cuba, it was cents. Yeah, so bottom line, I think the common ground here is that we do need to change our healthcare system. May I point out one thing about the Cuba medicine and situation? By all means. Um, to my knowledge, Cuba is not beholden to U.S. patent law. That is a huge factor in their medicine prices. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, well, that's yeah, also that, part that, of that's part of that's a big part well, of that, the It's also the embargoes, but that's yeah, going that, the that's, whole thing. Who knows what's going to happen there? But I think fundamentally now we have reasons for why we should get rid of our current health care system from a libertarian standpoint and then also from a socialist standpoint. So thank you to Joey B. and Jonah B. for your time today. Jonah, it was an